Well, good morning. It is such a delight to be able to be with you here this morning on the Lord's Day. Uh, what a joy uh, to be able to be here to celebrate the 75th anniversary for uh, your church. Uh, I would ask that you would open your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is going to be our text for this morning. And as you're turning there, just wanted to say a special word of thank you and appreciation to your pastor, Pastor Brian. Thank you so much for you and Tracy uh, having Heather and I come and uh, just be able to spend this special time with you this morning. It's a joy to be able to meet you, uh, to be able to see the different ways that you serve, uh, just to be able to see God's grace manifested here. Uh, also special to be able to hear uh, your former pastors, uh, Dr. Elwood McQuaid, uh, as well as Dr. Jim Alley, uh, and even Pastor Tim. Uh, you have obviously been blessed by God in a great way in order to have these men here, and uh, it has just been a delight to be able to be uh, with you this morning. Uh, the subject for this morning is really uh, the theme of what we've been singing about, what we've been talking about, and that is... Uh, just celebrating God's faithfulness. Uh, I had been praying about what to share with you uh, from God's Word, and the Lord led me to this passage in 1 Corinthians. And so let me just uh, read that uh, this morning. I'll include the first three verses as Paul introduces the letter. Uh, Paul, uh, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, and to the church of God, which is at Corinth, uh, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you uh, for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus that in everything you were enriched in Him, in all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you were not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you to the end blameless, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called in the fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's ask for the Lord's blessing on our time together. Heavenly Father, it is with a great sense of joy and expectation that we come to Your Word this morning. Uh, we thank You for the great work that You do in individuals through salvation and the way that you bring them together to form a body of believers that you've identified as your church. God, we pray that as we open your word this morning, that you would speak to our hearts, that the Spirit of God who inspired this text would be our teacher this morning, that he would illuminate his word to our hearts, and we would be reminded of your faithfulness. Lord, we just want to commit this time to you and pray that your work would be done your way for your glory, and we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Now, if, if this is your first time reading through the book of 1 Corinthians, 
you may think that this church to whom Paul was writing had just done a great job in living out their identity in Christ. I'm sure they probably thought the same thing as they were initially reading this letter, but it simply wasn't the case. The church in Corinth was a very sick church. In fact, as soon as you get past verse number 9, the Apostle Paul begins to address all of the problems, or at least those that he wanted to address in this particular letter, and there were many problems. Uh, In fact, the rest of this letter deals with wrong doctrine and wrong behavior. In fact, as I initially began to work through this passage or through this book, I was, I was shocked at how sick this church was. But then in reading this particular portion, how blessed they were by God. Uh, they really didn't think that they were that bad. In fact, they considered themselves to be spiritual, but their behavior was far from saintly. Well, this morning we're not going to go past verse number 9, and there's a reason for that. And the reason is, regardless of the spiritual health of the church that was there in Corinth, God had been good to them. God had been gracious to them. God had been faithful to them. And because of that, there was reason for the church in Corinth to give thanks. There was reason for the church in Corinth to celebrate. Now, we're trying to read this passage and understand what it was that Paul wrote and what he meant whenever he wrote what he wrote. And as with any exposition, we're asking three questions. Uh, The first question is, what do we see in this text? We want to observe what's actually in the passage of Scripture. And then we want to ask, what does it mean? That's interpretation. We're trying to find out what Paul meant when he wrote what he wrote. And then we're asking, how does it apply? In other words, so what? Uh, what does it, how does it help us? What are we to understand? What are we to take away with as a church? And so uh, that's what we're going to try to do as we work our way through and, and really thinking about how good God has been today that we might indeed celebrate His faithfulness. I, I summarize this passage in this way, and I'm only going to focus on verses 4 through 9. We'll, we'll work through verses 1 through 3 by way of his introduction to the letter. But in verses 4 through 9, the Apostle Paul is, is really celebrating, or he's giving three reasons to celebrate God's faithfulness to his church. If you were to summarize this and the big idea of what's going on is he's unpacking, by way of his description, three reasons... Uh, to celebrate God's faithfulness in His church. Now, Paul begins by identifying himself as the author of the letter. Uh, Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. Now, that's not normally the way that you and I would write a letter. Uh, Whenever we would write a letter, we would begin with the recipient, and we would close with the author of the letter by signing our name. In fact, if we receive a letter from an unknown address, often we'll look to the end of the letter to see who the author of the letter was who is writing us. Well, Paul doesn't leave any question about that. Uh, Paul begins by identifying himself and calling himself an apostle. It's not intended as a title. He's not saying that you need to call me Apostle Paul like uh, you would call someone Reverend so-and-so. That's not it. It's, it's rather recur- referring to his vocation. 
Uh, Paul was writing and reminding the believers in Corinth that he had been called and commissioned as an apostle, and so therefore he was writing them with a sense of responsibility, urgency, and authority. The apostle Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, He was part of an authoritative, authoritative limited group a group that included the twelve, but Paul was not one of the twelve, but was equal to the twelve, and he was a foundational teacher of God's revealed truth. Uh, Paul had met the qualifications of an apostle. He had seen the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, and he had been uniquely chosen by Christ and sent out as an apostle to preach the gospel to see many come to saving faith in Jesus. Paul here says he's called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He's reminding the Corinthians that he was there caring for them, writing to them, because his apostleship originated with God himself. He didn't volunteer for the role. In fact, probably more than in any other of his epistles, the apostle identifies himself as an apostle some ten times within the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul is writing them with a sense of authority and urgency because God has a purpose for this body. He also includes the one who is helping him, Sosthenes, our brother. Literally, Sosthenes, the brother. Uh, This was Paul's companion, his possible amanuensis, which was a fancy name for his secretary. In fact, it could have been that he had dictated this letter and that Sosthenes had written this letter out and then Paul signed it with his own hand at the end in chapter 16 and verse number 21. There's an interesting story and we won't take the time to go into it, but if you were to go back to the book of Acts in chapter 16 and, and read and learn about Sosthenes, he was, he was a leader of the synagogue there in Corinth. He originally didn't like Paul and he didn't like Jesus and he didn't like Christians, but God had converted him and now he had gone from a, from a Jesus hater to a Jesus lover, and he was a follower of Jesus, and he's even being used by God to help write out this letter to the Corinthians. And so Paul and Sosthenes are identified. Paul is the author of the letter. Next came the recipient of the letter, and Paul writes to the church of God, which is at Corinth. The word church, it was mentioned earlier, are those who are called out, who are assembled together. Uh, the, the church at Corinth was not a building with bricks and mortar or sticks and nails or whatever they used to assemble a building. That's not what it was at, at all. It was a group of people who had been called out or saved through faith in Jesus Christ and they simply happened to live at Corinth. It's nice to come here. It's nice to be with you in this nice building and the buildings that you have here on your campus. But the buildings aren't the church at Timberlake. You are the church at Timberlake. And Paul was writing to a group of believers who were the church. Notice how he, uh, notice how he addresses them. Uh, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified or set apart in Christ Jesus saints by calling. In spite of all of the problems of the believers who were there at Corinth, they had been set apart by God, and that occurred when they believed savingly on Christ Jesus, and they were saints by calling. A saint's not a dead person. 
who was being honored by men for some sort of a holy lifestyle. A, a saint is a living person who has been set apart by God for his use. In other words, Paul is reminding them that God had given them their identity. God had given them their purpose. It was not something they had to manufacture on their own. In fact, in their practice, from what we'll read in this epistle or what you would read later, they were proving themselves to be sinners, but in their position, God had made them saints. What an encouragement to us this morning to be reminded again that every true believer is a saint because every true believer has been set apart by God for His purposes. Paul writes here, "...to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Now, why write that? Why include that last portion there at the end of verse number 2? I believe what Paul was doing was he was reminding the believers there that they were a part of a much larger group, a much larger church, a, a group that belonged to God. Paul was writing to remind them that you're not as spiritual as you think you are and you're not isolated in and of yourselves. You are, you are part of a much more thing, a much larger thing that God is doing. There are other fellow believers, saints by calling. Paul says in every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was reminding the believers at Corinth, and really by implication you and I today, that, that any church is neither independent nor alone. Jesus is the Lord of the whole church, and Jesus will have His way among them as well, just as He does in other churches. What a great reminder that is. To be able to come here and celebrate 75 years of God's faithfulness, and to know that Jesus is the Lord of His church, to know that He will accomplish His purposes for God's glory. Notice what Paul writes in verse number 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he doesn't write hello. He, he doesn't say greetings. He, he extends to them grace and peace. Grace being the unmerited favor the undeserved help to someone, uh, help that we are not worthy of with no thought of repayment at all, Paul is writing and conveying God's grace to them and His peace. Uh, that word uh, peace, irene, is a reflection of shalom, the Old Testament word for peace, and it emphasizes wholeness and prosperity of life, not, not just the absence of conflict, but the idea that because of God's work in your life, all is well. Even when things are difficult, God can give you grace and peace. Now, the apostle was aware of the pride that was, that was so obvious in the life of this church and the division that was there, and yet the apostle greets them with exactly what they need most, and that is the grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All of that is really set up by way of helping us to kind of get our arms around and be prepared for what the apostle is about to say. And again, he's going to be rehearsing these three reasons that we can celebrate God's faithfulness in the church of Corinth 
and even in Timberlake today. Here's the first reason to celebrate God's faithfulness in His church, and that is that God gives His grace. God gave His grace to the believers at Corinth, and God gives His grace to us here today. In verse number 4, he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. In verses uh, 4 through 8 in the original, it's one long sentence in the Greek. Paul begins by stating, I thank my God always concerning you. Now, if you have read this book and if you understand these people and if you've read 2 Corinthians uh, that's really an amazing thing for the Apostle Paul to be, say with, to be saying with all honesty and with all sincerity. It was, it was something for Paul to be able to say that about the Corinthians because their church was just filled with problems. He didn't say to them what we sometimes say to others, well, bless your heart. <laughs> you know, it's just a way of saying, man, uh, God give me grace to put up with you. That, that, that's not what he's saying at all. Paul's regular habit was to always give thanks for those that God saves, even for the believers who were there in Corinth. In spite of all of the problems that the apostle was having them in, having with them, Paul had a basis for his giving of thanks. And the basis for his thanksgiving was that God had given them grace in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, salvation itself, among other things, is the gracious gift from God. And the Corinthians had received that grace gift. And for that, the Apostle Paul was thankful. You know, there's evidence of God's grace in every redeemed person and therefore reason for you and I to give thanks. I think that we miss that sometimes, don't we? if we're not intentional about looking for God's grace operating in the lives of those who are around us, we might stop looking for and we might stop recognizing the fact that God has been gracious to each believer who is around you. In fact, we might become slow to thank God for those who are around us, even those with whom we may have trouble from time to time. If they've been saved by His grace, they are recipients of His grace, and there is reason for you and I to give thanks. The Apostle Paul was able to give thanks for God's work in others, even those with whom he was having trouble or disagreed at points because he was aware of God's grace in his own life. And because he was thankful for what God did in his life, he could be grateful for what God had done and was doing in the lives of others around him. In verse number 5, he begins to unpack how God had been gracious to them. He says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge. Uh, Paul begins to talk about the specific ways that God had given them His grace. And he says that in everything you were enriched in Him. Uh, that word means to, be, it means to be made abundantly wealthy, exceedingly rich. Paul knew that in Christ Jesus, God had blessed the Corinthians with an abundance of spiritual gifts. I mean, he had made them tremendously wealthy with spiritual gifts. 
Salvation itself was the gracious gift of God, but along with that salvation, by His grace, God had given them spiritual gifts. Uh, that's an encouragement for us this morning. Not only has God forgiven our sins, but God has also gifted us with at least one ability to serve Him and serve others. A supernatural enabling whereby we are to care for others, that we are to minister to others, uh, that we are to bring God glory. Uh, Paul here is recounting God's grace operating in their life, that in everything you were enriched in Him, made spiritually wealthy in all speech and all knowledge. Paul was talking here about the the spiritual gifts that God had blessed them with, all speech, all knowledge. It was true that the Corinthians were gifted spiritually, even though they were misusing those gifts. Here he's recognizing that God had given them the ability to say what He wanted them to say and know what He wanted them to know. Here he's reminding them of how much God had blessed them, with how rich they were. He had given them all speech, that is, the gifts that were needed to tell God's truth to others. And he had blessed them with all knowledge, that is, the gifts that are needed to understand or apply God's truth. Now again, if you've read this letter or done a brief or in-depth study of it, you may be surprised to read that from the Apostle Paul since his letter reveals that they misunderstood and misused these great spiritual gifts that God had given them. But the problems were not with the gifts. The problems were with the, the people who were using those gifts. And later in verses or chapters 12 through 14, the Apostle will address that But here, Paul gives credit where credit is due, and that is to God. Now, it's true that Christians might be lacking in spiritual maturity. And at different points in the life of believers, they might be lacking in moral purity. But because of the grace of God, Christians are not lacking in any spiritual gifts. They may lack character, but they don't lack resources. And Paul here is identifying the fact that God is the one who is to be thankful for that. You know, today we're remembering the 75th anniversary of of this church. And I just want to ask you, are you mindful of the grace that God has given uh, to you as a church? Are you mindful of the way that God has given His grace by way of spiritual giftedness Uh, to the individuals who are in this church. For 75 years, God, through His grace, has given the gifts that are needed to keep this body healthy, to keep it operational, and to keep it growing. Uh, Earlier in the Sunday school hour, we listened to three previous pastors, and just listening to them, I, I was encouraged to be able to mark the spiritual giftedness of those men, each one different in his own way, and yet all gifted by the grace of God. It was encouraging to listen to the way that that you have had an impact upon those men as they mentioned different ones in this body and the way that, that God used you and God used them and grew this body all for His glory. Brothers and sisters, don't miss that fact. Don't miss the fact that God has given you His grace. That God has graced you with His gifts. 
He has given you exactly what you need spiritually for this body to function. This body has been kept healthy and operational and growing because of the grace of God and that is a wonderful reason for us to celebrate. There's a second reason that we can celebrate God's faithfulness to His church. Not only does God give us His grace, but God also confirms His gospel. You see it here in verses 6 and the latter part or the first part of verse number 7. Verse 6 says, Even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. Even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. What is the testimony concerning Christ? Paul's talking about the gospel. Uh, Paul's reminding them that he had come to them and that he had preached the gospel and that God had confirmed that gospel in the hearts and lives of those believers who were now in Corinth. Uh, That confirmation was an authentication of the gospel. God guaranteed that gospel was true. God verified that gospel was true. God proved that gospel was true in certain Whenever a person comes to understand the testimony concerning Jesus Christ, the the gospel message and trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross, all sin is forgiven, all guilt is removed. You see, the Bible tells us about God's provision for all that we have done, all of our rebellion, all of our sin, all of our wrong thinking, wrong, wrong speaking, wrong deeds. The first four Gospels are a biography uh, that they really tell about Jesus and what He has done and what it means to become a follower of His and, and what He provides for us. Do you understand that you can, you can come into a church or you can meet a believer or you can pick up a Bible and no matter how burdened you may be, no matter how messed up your heart and life may be, no matter how spiritually bankrupt you are, God, through His grace, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, can remove that guilt, can grant you grace, and can give you peace in your heart and a right relationship with Him. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you remember where He found you. Some of you are are marked forever by His grace operating in your life. And Paul is here reminding these believers of the testimony concerning Christ that was confirmed in them. That no matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from, that the pain and the guilt that you've carried can suddenly be removed because Christ took upon Himself the guilt for sinners and paid that penalty in full and gives us His righteousness. Paul was reminding them that God the Father had confirmed Paul's gospel preaching, His testimony concerning Christ by saving them. Paul here says that even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that, here's part of the implications of that, you are not lacking in any gift. Part of the confirmation of their salvation was the fact that God had given them spiritual gifts, in fact, so many gifts, that they lacked nothing. It was uh, probably about uh, two years ago that I received a letter from a uh, a man who was attending our church in email and 
he was explaining to me that his, his life and his family were a wreck. Uh, my heart was moved as I as I read the letter. He he said that you know I I I come to church. I I try to listen. I try to read the Bible. I try to lead my family, and nothing's working out. I'm I'm not making any forward progress. In fact, it, it seems like I'm I, I'm getting worse. My family's getting worse. My my heart is getting worse. I'm troubled. I'm looking for someone uh, who can help me. Can can you please sit down with me and talk to me? And I thought, boy, what a great opportunity to do that. And so I said, sure, come in. And I began to meet with him and began to read through the Gospel of Mark together. And, and over a series of weeks of, of just focusing in on key passages in Mark's Gospel, uh, there was a transformation that occurred in the heart and life of this man. Whenever we finished, uh, we were coming to the completion of our letter. I said, I, I'd like to our time together, I said, I'd like to read you something. And, and I pulled out his email and I began to read it to him and didn't tell him who it was from. He said, wait a second, that, that's what I wrote to you. And I said, yeah, that's right, it is. He goes, but, but, but wait, the things that I wrote there are, are, are simply not true about my heart and life now. He said, I, I used to believe facts about Jesus and now I'm trusting in Jesus. I used to think that I was saved, but, but now I, I know that I'm saved. I, I know that my heart and my life are different from whenever I wrote that letter to you. Things are, things are so much different now. Uh, this, is, this is all very real to me. This is, this is something I can identify with. This is something I take, I take great joy in. Now I'm not trying to force myself to read the Bible. I, I, I want to read the Bible. I get to read the Bible. It, it brings me great joy to be able to do that. I, I want to learn. I want to grow. I, I want to serve. I, I want to honor my Lord. You say, well, what was the difference? What happened in the life of that man? The testimony concerning Christ changed his life. God had brought to him a realization of the fact that he was a rebel against his Creator, and yet God loved him so much that he sent his only Son into the world in order that he might be forgiven. Jesus had, had lived a perfect life and was not deserving of death, and yet he hung upon a cross and bore the wrath of God for sinners. He suffered in their place. He, he died taking their guilt away. And when this young man began to believe that Jesus did not only die, but he died for me, and, and he received that forgiveness that God provided, and he received the righteousness that comes from Christ, everything changed. There was, there was a different look on his face. There was different words that were coming out of his mouth. Everything was different because of the testimony concerning Christ. Now, who gets the credit for that transformation? It, it, it's certainly not me. It was a privilege for me to be able to meet with him and read with him. It, it's certainly not him because he didn't do anything to be able to have that guilt removed. You see, the only person who receives glory for that transformation is God himself. And that's exactly the Apostle's point. 
what an encouragement it is to be able to be with you here, to be able to hear about the ministry that's taking place, the burdens that are being borne, the way that you're loving and caring for one another, the way that you're meeting with people and discipling people and want to see them grow spiritually and, and wanting to be winning souls for Christ. That was an encouragement to hear earlier. But if you're proclaiming the gospel testimony concerning Jesus Christ to someone else, and they believe that message, they do so because God has, been, has enabled them to believe. Likewise, if you believe the gospel, if you believe the testimony concerning Jesus Christ, and you become a follower of Christ, you did so because God enabled you to believe. Every person who has been converted here in this church every person who has become a believer here in this church, and even those who have been strengthened spiritually here, whatever it is that has happened positively for the kingdom of God, none of the credit goes to any of us, but all of the glory goes to God. Brothers and sisters, there is no reason for pride on our part. Uh, There is every reason for humility and gratitude and for God to receive the glory. The confirmation of the gospel occurred in Corinth. The confirmation of the gospel occurs in Phoenix. And by God's grace, it has been occurring here at Timberlake Baptist Church for the past 75 years. Brothers and sisters, that is reason to celebrate. I'm just kind of curious. Uh, This church has been around for a while. Some of you have been here for a long time. Uh, Some of you have been here for not so long Uh, Just curious, how many of you have come to Saving Faith uh, in Christ here at Timberlake? Show of hands, if God has used this ministry in order to bring you to Saving Faith, that's great. Praise the Lord for that. God has been so faithful in order to confirm His gospel. Paul here is rehearsing the reasons to celebrate God's faithfulness in His church. The first is that God gives His grace. The second is that God confirms His gospel. And the third is that God perfects His saints. Verses 6 and 7, he says, Even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you're not lacking in any, any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ refers to the Lord's return the time whenever Jesus will be revealed. And Paul writes to them and said, you're, uh, you're awaiting that eagerly. There's an intense expectation that Jesus is going to come. And that's a good thing. If if they were to lose sight of that and get too attached to the world in which they live, that wouldn't be a good thing. And here Paul is writing to them and reminding them that they are awaiting eagerly the revelation of the Lord. But, but, But Paul adds something to that. He adds that there are circumstances that are attendant to that. In addition, or while they were waiting for the Lord to come back, God had graciously given them spiritual gifts as a temporary provision until Christ returns. In other words, as they are eagerly awaiting His return. Why why tell them that? Why why write that to them? Uh, While they're awaiting eagerly the revelation of Jesus, you are not lacking in any gift. You see, the Corinthians were overly satisfied with their own spirituality, including the gift of 
heavenly languages that he addresses later in the book. Paul is grateful for the gifts. Paul is grateful for God's grace, but he reminds them, listen, the best is yet to come. What they eagerly await should be the revelation of Jesus and God will bring to a conclusion all that He has for them with the revelation of His Son. He continues here in verse number 8, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you so that, number one, you're not lacking in any gift while you're awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here again, Paul is looking toward the end of things, and he's reminding them that the day of our Lord Jesus is coming. It's a, it's a day of final judgment. The Old Testament refers to it as the day of the Lord. Here, Paul calls it the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a day of judgment. It's a day of reckoning. It's a time whenever final justice will be be dealt out. But he's saying here that there's no need for a believer to fear the day of final judgment. And you say, why not? Because there's uh, there's a different confirmation coming. There's a confirmation day. And Jesus shall confirm you to the end. Paul wanted to remind them that God in His grace would confirm them to the end blameless. Did you hear that? Blameless. The word means guiltless. Uh, Paul was reminding them that no matter what has happened in their life, that, that, that may, whatever they're responsible, things that have been challenging in the Christian life, Paul is reminding them that that same Jesus who one day is going to come is going to confirm you to the end blameless at His coming. Uh, what an encouragement it is to be reminded that there is no condemnation on the final day, for those who, like the Corinthians, are in Christ Jesus. You see, if you are in Christ, let me encourage you this morning, you have been justified. You have been declared righteous. Uh, You are being sanctified. And no charge can be brought against you at the judgment. Whenever you read this book, you're aware that the Corinthians have a very long way to go before their behavior matches their status before God. But Paul is writing that in the end, God will perfect them. God will confirm them, listen, blameless. Do you understand that? No matter what's happening in your life, you're going to make it. If you're a believer, no matter, no matter how deep the valley may be, you will come up out of the valley and God will confirm you blameless. Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6, it was, it was read a couple of times earlier. What a, what a great verse that is. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, let me remind you that God finishes what He starts. In the great spiritual work that He has been doing for the past 75 years in this location, in this part of His world, is something that He will continue and God will finish what He starts. You might ask, how in the world can Paul be so certain of that? 
especially knowing some of the stuff that the Corinthians were dealing with and how messed up this church really was. How can Paul write with confidence that God or Jesus will confirm them till the end blameless in the day of His coming? Well, the answer to that question is right at the beginning of verse number 9. And that is because God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son. In fact, the word order is changed in the original, faithful is God. It's written that way so that the faithfulness is the focal point. The faithfulness of God is the focal point for the confidence that these believers have. In Romans chapter 8 and verse number 30, the apostle would write to the believers in Rome that those whom God had predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And those whom he justified, these he also glorified. And you think, well, wait a second, they weren't glorified yet. No, but he was so confident that they would be that he could write that in the past tense. How could he be that confident? Because faithful is God. Isn't it incredible to think that Paul would express such confidence about a group of believers whose conduct is anything but blameless and who on repeated occasions he must correct even with strong language and yet he knows that God will present them blameless or guiltless because God is faithful. That is the theme for today. God will keep His contract with you. God will remain faithful to you. God will preserve you to the very end blameless because of the work that He's done in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is reminding us this morning of all that we need to hear, that all the realities that Paul describes can be found in Christ Jesus. Let me just give you a little exercise, if you'd like to do it a little bit later on today. In those first nine verses, the name Jesus Christ appears nine times in nine verses. So if you were to get a yellow highlighter or a yellow marker or maybe you just want to underline it somehow in your Bible, just go through and in those nine verses, if you see Jesus or Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus or Christ, if you'll just underline that or if you'll, if you'll highlight that in yellow, you'll, you'll begin to see that there is a whole lot of yellow in those first nine verses. And the reason for that is because of the great uh, spiritual wealth that comes in Jesus Christ. Let me just remind you this morning in closing uh, what Paul reminded them of. You and I are not self-made. We are not self-maintained. We are what we are and we will be what we will be because of the grace of God in our life. God is at work in my heart and in your heart. We are sanctified, are set apart in Christ Jesus. We are called to be saints, not because we're naturally saintly, but because by God's grace we're able to call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace and peace that you and I experiencing experience come from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You and I are enriched with spiritual gifts in Christ. You and I can be confident in our faith because God has confirmed the testimony about Christ among you. Your future hope is not in the many gifts or in the potential achievements for our church, but our hope is in the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, because you are in Christ, God will sustain you until the very end. God promised that He would confirm you and I, who were formerly guilty, that He will confirm us blameless or guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I can be absolutely certain of this because, listen, faithful is God. He has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me encourage you this morning. Your gifts are sufficient. Your identity is certain. Your future is secure because of all that God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, those are sufficient reasons to celebrate His faithfulness. Let's pray together.